0: This is Katie Prajan McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. My husband and I like to joke that our almost three year old has a very strong sense of justice. Not perhaps justice as would be defined by Aristotle or Plato or any other philosopher or even necessarily justice um, defined by the church, but just a very strong sense of right and wrong, and this is fair and this is not, and you have done something wrong to me or I have done something wrong to you, and that wrong must now be righted. For example... The other day she came into my office. I was actually working on the Ave Explorers podcast. And as she tried to climb up into my lap, I I kind of I pushed her back with my hand. Now, let me clarify. I didn't shove my child, I just kind of pushed her back a little bit so I could push my chair back before she tried to climb into my lap. And she looked at me and she went, Hey, you pushed me. And I Looked at her and I said, Oh, well, I'm sorry, Rose. I, I just was trying to hold you back. Mommy wasn't in a spot where you could climb on. And she, with as much seriousness as I think her little almost three year old self could muster, she said, Well, you pushed me, so I get to push you. And she, she tried to shove my chair. Now, in that moment, we had a, an opportunity to explain to her that it's not just tit for tat in the world. If somebody slaps you, you don't get to slap them back. We especially needed to make sure that. She understands that going into preschool next month, God willing. But I was chuckling about it the rest of the day. Hey, you pushed me. Like she just had this instant reaction to a wrong that was committed, and therefore justice must be served. I have not been given what I was owed, and therefore I need to do something to you to either respond to that or you have to owe it back to me maybe even tenfold more. This is, of course, a drastic simplification of the concept of justice. As defined in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, justice is the cardinal moral virtue which consists in the constant and firm will to give their due to God and to neighbor. To give what is due to God and to neighbor. The church, then, is... Part of the application of the living out and the cry for justice in the world. And in some very distinct ways, especially right now at the particular moment our country especially finds itself in, the cry for justice is loud, the cry for justice is often pained, and the need to work for justice is necessary. To talk about all of that, this idea of justice, the idea of restoring justice, the idea of creating a just and equitable society for all, the way that the church can enter into the conversation about justice. And of course, justice tacked on to this idea of social justice, giving to society what it is owed, giving to men and women what they are owed, and us within society giving to each other what we are due and what we are owed. Well, that, that's, a, that's an incredibly important conversation to have, one I think we've been having this entire Faith in Action series, but one that here at the end of our podcast season, we, we wanted to have with somebody who's really in the front lines of it, want somebody who, who helps organize that effort within the real world, within the real church. And so I, I called my friend to Carlos Blackman, you know, we, we have circled one another on social media before, uh, know very many of the same people. And so chatting with De Carlos was like talking to an old friend. He's the director of the Secretariat for Life, Justice and Charity in the Diocese of Austin, Texas. And our conversation today really centers on why those of us who call ourselves faithful men and women, men and women who love the church and who are part of the life of the church, who are the church, right? Why we should be concerned for advocating. For justice. Why working for a better world isn't just a suggestion, oh, I'll do that when I feel like, you know, it's convenient to me, but it's really an essential part of living our faith every single day. And to Carlos and his office that he runs in the Diocese of Austin, it's the office of pro-life ministry, but it's not so limited in its pro-life scope and in the, in the ways that we often think when we hear that term, but really does advocate for and work for life at every level, womb to tomb. The pro-life movement and the traditional anti-abortion movement that we sometimes think of, but also in conversations around care for the elderly, advocating for a better prison system within our country, and the ongoing fight for, for justice and charity within the conversations and the work to end racial inequality. DeCarlos Blackman, I think, is somebody that you're going to learn a lot from because his experience with all of this is not just sitting in an office, writing documents or telling people to go out, but really in advocating for it in his own life and in his own work and then bringing people onto his team there in the Diocese of Austin to do this work. So I think today this conversation about bringing about a restoration of justice within our world is one that you'll greatly benefit from and learn a lot from perhaps even making you as justice-oriented as my little toddler who goes, hey, you pushed me, and instantly knows that something was not fair and not right. This is our our final episode for season five of the Ave Explorers podcast. We're so excited that you've been listening this whole time and hopefully have taken time to rate and review the show and share it with other people. You can find all of the content that we have created for Ave Explorers Faith in Action over at AveMariaPress.com, as well as some of my favorite articles and videos from the series linked down in the show notes today. Right now, I hope you enjoy this excellent conversation with DeCarlos Blackman from the Secretariat for Life, Justice, and Charity in the Diocese of Austin, Texas, about restoring justice in our world, in our church, and even within our own lives. De Carlos, thanks so much for joining us on the Ave Explore Show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, tell me a little bit about where you are, who you are, uh, what you do, where you're sitting right now.
1: Well, I'm sitting here in my office in the Diocese of Austin. I'm privileged to be the director of life, charity, and justice, running the entire secretariat. And within this secretariat, I'm ultimately responsible for pro-life activities, restorative justice, social concerns, missions and discipleship, Hispanic ministry, Black ministry, there's just a wealth, family life ministry. And all of these particular ministries are clearly involved with evangelization and discipleship.
0: That's a big tent. Um, there's a, I mean, there's a lot in there. Why, why that job? Like, what drew you to that job years ago? But, but specifically, what do you love about it right now?
1: Well, for six years, I was the Supreme Knight and Chief Executive Officer of the Knights of Peter Claver Incorporated. And yeah. when I to that role after having spent most of my ecclesial ministry in liturgy and music, because I'm a musician and a, and a person who's very much uh, ingrained in the church, When I went to that role uh, as Supreme Knight and Chief Executive Officer of the Knights of Peter Claver, I became more aware than I had ever been before on social justice activities, but also pro-life activities. So when I was a Supreme Knight, I established a pro-life committee there uh, for the order. And so being more ingrained in pro-life activities, but also social concerns, it would seem to me at that Point that what we needed to do was to kind of bridge the gap, to bridge the gap between pro-life activities and social concerns. So I knew that upon leaving that role as Supreme Knight, that I wanted to work in a diocese, but. I didn't necessarily want to work for any of my friends because I have a lot of friends who are bishops and I didn't think that was a good idea to go and work for one of them. It wouldn't have been good for me. It wouldn't have been good for the bishop and it definitely would not have been good for the chancery staff because they would never say to me what they're really thinking because right. they think, hey, that guy's the bishop's boy, so we don't talk to him. But this opportunity presented itself in the diocese of Austin where they were looking for a director for life, charity and justice. And that really, really just spoke to me. So indeed, it was a God moment mm-hmm. for me. Uh, I believe that I am meant to be here. Yeah. Boston.
0: Where Where are you from originally?
1: I'm originally from Mobile, Alabama.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. That's just up the road, not far.
1: That's right. That's uh, right.
0: I, I will say go Tigers, but I won't tell you <laughs> who I'm saying that about necessarily. Yeah.
1: And, and um, I'll simply say roll a Exactly,
0: exactly. I think we can get, oh, we have a pause. Would you like to say hi to Mr. DeCarlos? Hi, Carlos. How are you? Okay, hey, mommy's working. Can mommy go back to her interview? Okay,
2: we're going to go on our walk. Come on. Ooh, have
0: fun. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Family life. It That's is. Working. No, it's just so perfect. I might not even cut that out. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Working from home has, this is always where I work from home, but normally she's at school right now, which is why I schedule them.
1: Um, Well, let let me just say what's beautiful, the first church right there Mm -hmm. happening before our eyes. So that's a wonderful thing.
0: Absolutely. Parents are their first teachers. I'm assuming that's something that y'all push within the office. Um, You you listed off all the things and I've got the website pulled up uh, under the office. And of course now it's gone right in front of me, but you mentioned, you kind of listed off all those different things, family life, pro-life ministry, Black Catholic ministry. Which one, um, or of all of those, you know, that, it seems like they're centered around the pillars of Catholic social teaching, the seven pillars, that this office is very much focused on that. But what I'm struck by is the word justice, and, and it's paired with the word charity as the title, right? It's not just the office of life, it's also this office where it's focused on on bringing charity and enacting justice. Tell us a little bit about that mission and maybe unpack those words for us.
1: Well, I think one of the things that's important to take into consideration is that this whole secretariat has the express objective to empower people of faith to develop a passion for life, for love, for charity, for justice, and to express that passion in concrete acts of social ministry within the many parochial ministries and apostolates throughout our diocese. So one of the things we do is emphasize the gospel message of life, peace, charity, Mm -hmm. justice. This is rooted not only in the evangelical Beatitudes, but also in the laity sharing in the mission of the church and the world. And of course we see that in Lumen Gentium. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So the desire is to celebrate in every way, the great diversity found within our diocese. It's really, really important for us in this secretariat. When pro-life activities has a gathering, when they have a gathering in January, restorative justice is there. Black ministry is there. Hispanic ministry is there. Family life is there. When we celebrate uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe, it's important that all of the cultures are present because at the heart of everything we do, fundamentally is life. If we can't open wide our hearts to each other, then there's a problem. Mm -hmm. So my feeling is, and one of the things that we teach here is that for those who feel that social justice is where it is, and they have a disregard for pro-life activities and the work of that office, or if one feels that everything is in the pro-life office and the social concerns office doesn't matter, One of the things we remind our people is that for anyone who could think in an isolated way, that they're all doing the gospel of life and unjust.
0: It it connects. I mean, there's, there's bridges between, it's just like you wanted to go into that office to bridge the gap between some of the things you were seeing, even within the office. Sometimes we, um, we become focused on the social concern that I think we're drawn to. You know, my Mm -hmm. mom is very involved in a, um, a pregnancy clinic here in town—that's really where her heart is drawn. And my dad helps out with some prison ministry; that's where he's yeah. drawn. And that's—that's—and I, I think it's okay that people are drawn to certain things. But it sounds like your office is very much focused on the integration of that.
1: That's correct.
0: And and you said something profound in there that the laity are empowered to care about these these social concerns. That it's not—it's not just the work of the bishop. It's not just the work of the hired man sitting behind the desk. That all of us. What are some some things happening in Austin that that really? share this or show this or what people are actually doing in parishes and communities?
1: Well, it's beautiful to see that in our restorative justice program, so many people engaged in the ethnic ministries and pro-life activities are now engaged in prison ministry, ministry for those who are incarcerated. It's very beautiful to see people who are engaged in the Gabriel project ministry to figure out how are they going to help women who are incarcerated or when they get out to be able to take care of their families. I have a restorative justice office that's very, very engaged with the Texas Department of Juvenile Justice Mm. because we recognize that the absence of fathers and families further with this degradation of the family is causing some of the problems that send young people down a wrong road we are incredibly blessed to have Bishop Vasquez, the Bishop of this diocese, because Bishop Vasquez helps us in our work to convey in a very real way that the work of our office is integral to the apostolate of the laity, which is derived from their Christian vocation. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a matter of what this office is doing or what the Bishop says, we want to empower people to get more involved by virtue of their baptism. Mm-hmm. That's really, really important. I'll give you a, for instance, I was at a gathering of pro-life volunteers a couple of years ago and a woman stood and she says, but you know, De Carlos, you have to understand we need more collars when we're praying at the abortion clinic. And I said, I don't understand. Why do you need more collars? Because people need to see them. And I said, no people need to see you. We don't need the collar to do what you yourself can do by virtue of your baptism.
0: Yeah. I mean sometimes I think there's this trend of well the church should do that. And I always want to look at people and say aren't aren't, aren't we the church? Like can't Absolutely. we do that? <laughs> you know, sure there are certain things we can't do and sacramental ministry and priests are not just sacrament dispensaries but but there's also this it's a working together to advance the gospel and and an empowered empowered by the baptism that we've been given, empowered by confirmation and the gifts of the spirit, uh, fueled by the Eucharist, that this is this is how we live faith and action. Of all of those ministries, you, you, you mentioned restorative justice. Let's talk about that a little bit. So that's a, a great term for prison ministry. What are some of the ways that the Diocese of Austin, that you have been able to work with people who have been incarcerated, who are returning to, let's say, real life, for lack of a better way to put it, to help them Come back into communities and into society to find jobs, to find um, to find a foothold, to find good support systems. What what are some of the things y'all do there?
1: You know, it's I'm glad that you made the comment about restorative justice because that office used to be the office of criminal justice ministry mm-hmm. until I came along and got that changed. Yeah, uh, that's
0: a better title now.
1: <laughs> restorative justice, but you know what's really really. Uh, good about what that office does. That office works closely with Catholic Charities of Mm -hmm. Central Texas. It works closely with the Diocesan Council of Austin of the Society of St. Vincent de Paul, but the director of that office, uh, John Galluli, has such a wonderful relationship with the Texas State uh, Department of Criminal Justice that he is working with so many different re-entry groups. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when people have their ideas of what Catholic ministry should look like in the prison, and we have a lot of zealous volunteers who say, well, you know, you should do this, you should do that. And when these wardens and these, these unit chaplains say, uh, well, no, I, I don't think we could do that. And, you know, we have our zealous folks that says, no, this is Catholic, and this is what you need to do. I received an email from uh, Huntsville, Texas, where the offices are, and the guy, uh, I was copied on this message where he was responding. To someone, and he says, "You know, we understand your zeal for Catholic ministry in our units, but we take our instruction and direct direction from John Galulli in the Diocese of Austin. He guides us on what we should be doing in terms of Catholic ministry. So, I think that that office does a very, very good job working with a number of different groups, but also parishes mm-hmm. and Catholics and Protestants. So, in our own uh, diocese, that office." sponsors volunteer workshops for the Texas Department of Criminal Justice mm. here in the diocese, where people of all faiths are coming in, not only uh, for ministry, but any of the needs of criminal justice. We need people in there who can help those to understand that God, God's mercy endures forever. Mm-hmm. And so as we're working with different organizations, that's one of the things, that's the mantra. We want to continue to say that over and over again. God's mercy endures forever. So I think John does a very, very good job working with different groups to get them reintegrated into uh, parish life, uh, into the workplace. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful looking at our Catholic social service agencies in the area yeah. and in the different counties throughout
0: the diocese. And so it's a work of dignity. It's it's helping a person see themselves as as not just someone who's who's committed a crime. And it's helping others recognize that a person's never frozen in that moment of poor decision, of circumstances, that you know, that, that that's that we have an opportunity to love a human being into a a, a reunderstanding of who they are in the eyes of God.
1: Yes. You know, I think it's interesting as we talk about this, and it's, it's tough not to be emotional about it. In September of 2018, I think it was, yeah, it was September of 2018, I had done a retreat at one of the units in Gatesville, Texas, one of the maximum security units with John and Bishop Danny Garcia, who was auxiliary bishop at the time, was also there with us for this retreat. And I had given a talk, God's Mercy Endures forever and it was interesting listening to the men as they in small group talked about my talk and then there was a moment to share but in my own group there was a man who said to me Mr. DeCarlos, Carlos what you said I've been trying to live and understand every day because I have been in here for 42 years. Mm. I could not fathom being incarcerated Mm -hmm. at all but for 42 years and he says we thank the catholic church for coming to baptize us and to confirm us and to bring us into the church and to remind us that we are still god's own chosen people
0: yeah my friend michael gormley over in houston uh, does a regular retreat um, ministry in prisons over there and he said one time in his podcast he said, if, if my pastor were to take everything away, like every ministry that I do, the one that I would quit over, like the one that if you were to take this away, I would just leave my job it, it was prison ministry because so much is done in helping a person understand their their dignity for mm-hmm. for us who are doing that work that that when we do the work of the social teaching of the church, it's not just because we want brownie points in heaven it's it's very much a it's God's command and it changes us. It fundamentally changes us. How, how have you seen that change in your own life, perhaps?
1: Well, you know, it puts things in perspective. It, it, uh, in my own life, those experiences remind me how so many of us, in, in the, the, the snap of a finger, life could be so different
2: mm-hmm. that
1: we could be engaged, even in an accident even in an accident where someone has failed to obey a simple traffic law and there's the loss of life, you can find yourself in prison
2: mm-hmm.
1: for manslaughter. And at that particular point, it's not about intent.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it, when you look at civil society, this is something that has happened. And, you know, when looking at civil justice, somebody is going to pay, people would say, but you find yourselves in a situation and you would want there to be someone who is walking with you. You know, restorative justice ministry has a lot to do with encounter and accompaniment. Mm -hmm. And so for me, being involved in restorative justice with uh, John, my associate director for restorative justice, it has really, really taught me never forget to encounter and accompany people no matter how much time you don't think you have.
0: Mm -hmm. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with DeCarlos Blackman. If you are and you're finding the things he's saying to be intriguing and you want to know more, I would highly encourage you to click on over to the Ave Maria Press website. The link is right down in the show notes and check out all of the content we've created for Ave Explorers. There's a lot there this season. We've got articles and videos, other podcast episodes, of course, um, some excellent saint profiles, showcases of people who have done ministry in the world today, as well as an excellent challenge component of things that you can be doing. And of course, all of our Facebook Live videos are cataloged on the Ave Maria Press Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Vimeo pages. The links are down in the show notes as well. Ave Explores Faith in Action exists for you. The content we've created is one that we hope that you take advantage of, and we hope that you find it worthy enough to share with others so that they can see all that we are talking about in this series. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that goes for the incarcerated, the poor, the woman who finds herself without help and, and unexpectedly pregnant, the family that can't put food on the table tonight, um, I think one of the issues that the church has done a really great job in focusing on is pro-life ministry in one very narrow way sometimes, which is the fight against abortion. Yes. Um, but there's and, and to never, ever take away from that fight because it's a cruel injustice within our society. I mean, we all know the Mother Teresa quote. It's, it's insane, essentially, that we would kill a child to live how we would want, But how are the pro-life ministries within Austin bigger than that? You mentioned it earlier that sure, if we're praying in front of an abortion clinic, that's one thing, but we also wanna include X, Y, and Z to make sure that that we are further engaged. How how is the big tent of pro-life ministry expanded under your tenure, under your guidance and leadership?
1: Well, I think it's expanded in that the focus is no longer as narrow as it once was. Mm -hmm. So when you say pro-life activities, even across the country, People will automatically say anti-abortion and nothing yeah. else matters. Well, in Austin, we have a phenomenal associate director for pro-life activity. She serves right now as a consultant to the uh, pro-life committee for the USCCB, Louisa DePoe. When that position was vacant after I had come here, I opened it up three or four times trying to find the right person mm-hmm. because it was very important for me. And I said to Bishop Vasquez, I need someone who speaks Spanish fluently. Mm -hmm. I need someone to be able to reach out to the Hispanic Latino community, because quite frankly, in many places, pro-life activities is lily white. And I I mean no disrespect to say that to anyone, but in many places, that's what it is. And so since Louisa has come into this role, she explained to me, De Carlos, when we say pro-life, 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 For many Hispanic, Latino Catholics, that means nothing. Mm -hmm. When we focus on pro-life activities, we have to focus on pro-life, pro-family. So when we say pro-life, it has to be about being pro-family. And so when we have some of the folks that is just simply anti-abortion, 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 sometimes those are the people that when it comes to activities for the family, they don't want to be engaged in that. You know? And so I think that Louisa has done a very, very good job bringing it all together. So, not only is pro life pro life, it is pro life, it is pro marriage, it is pro uh, ethnicity. You know, I don't think anyone should be able to lose their personal identity. We all need to be able to sit around the table of the Lord without regard to distinction. We all belong to the Lord. So I think Louisa has done a phenomenal job. I mean, the eradication of racism yeah. fits within her office. Yeah. So that should tell you something. That's a pro-life work. Exactly. So to remove
0: the blinders that so many of us either, I, I don't even want to say are born with, but just the things we hear growing up, the people that we are around, the, the culture that that sometimes we find ourselves steeped in and then we have to kind of yank ourselves out of it. And that's this is the perfect segue. And I'm glad you brought that up. You know, pro-life doesn't just mean pro the baby being born. It means pro-supporting the mother after the fact. It means pro helping fathers find jobs to be able to stay with their families. It means pro-advocating for for people to not get shot when they're on a jog. Um, And and I want to shift now to what I think is sometimes a conversation that makes and I'll say it as the white Catholic in the room that makes white Catholics uncomfortable because we haven't always Acknowledged that there sometimes is a racial divide within our church. I've heard it said before, well, why is there an office of black Catholics if there's not an office of white Catholics? And I've, I've literally <laughs> had to raise my hand and say, because, because it's, it's for us and, and they have to carve a space out to be able to have those conversations. So we recognize it's not just meant for us. Um, and I don't even know if I said that correctly, but I've heard that said before in my hometown and have been remarkably frustrated because I haven't had a way to reply. Yeah. Um, so I want to have that conversation um, as a black man in a very high powered position in a diocese, how are we able, speak from your experience both about the racial divides that you know exists within the church at times, and how we can heal those wounds and build those bridges and, and fix that problem. And I know that's a loaded question, but I'm, I'm happy to say I'm ignorant of how to talk about it sometimes because I don't know my language correctly in this regard, if that makes sense.
1: Well, you know, Bishop Vasquez uh, and I hosted a um, listening session in September of 2019. And so we had our friend Bishop Shelton Fob to come uh, to host that. And of course, Daniel Brown was there. And we had a number of our members of our presbyterate there, some of our priests. And there was one particular priest who was present who said to me, honestly, a white priest, he says, you know, I don't know why I'm here But, you know, we'll see how it goes. Well, when it was over, he says, well, there were some things that clearly made me feel uncomfortable. But then I had to ask myself, well, why was I on the edge? He said, I had to ask myself. You know, this priest preached a powerful homily in his parish a week or two after that. And he sent to me the homily, the audio of the homily that he had preached. And he had said to the people, you know, this is who I am. These are some of the things that I did not understand. Bishop Vasquez has been saying that our priests need to talk to people who have experienced racism.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We need to understand. And you're not going to understand by simply avoiding it and not wanting to talk about it because it makes people uncomfortable. Yeah. You know Bishop Vasquez and Bishop Danny Garcia, who was the auxiliary bishop before he went to Monterey. They have both said, they have both said on more than one occasion that sometimes we need to be made to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. But let's never lose sight of the fact that every day our society our societal realities reveal the need for further catechesis to facilitate a genuine con- conversion of hearts.
0: Yeah.
1: That's That's important
0: because racism is a sin. And talking about sinfulness is uncomfortable. I mean, a a friend of mine put it to me like this once, a a black friend of mine. He said, Mm -hmm. if you were to walk into a church and know that, you know, that person over there is addicted to pornography, you would you would want them to get out of that addiction. Like you'd walk up to them and say, I want to help you fight through that. And I want you to get better. But yet the person sitting next to them could be racist, but we don't want to talk about that, even though it's just as horrible that a person would be harboring hate towards another person. How do we, how do we fix that? And I know that's a loaded question, but I, I know, and I keep asking black friends and white friends and Hispanic friends that, that I know want to have these conversations, well, what do I do? Is it a matter of calling people out? Is it a matter of, of posting Instagram posts saying I hate racism? Is, it, is there something I can do within my practical life to help combat that?
1: You know, in this diocese, I can tell you, Bishop Vasquez and I have said repeatedly that Catholics must, in an effort to work at ending racism, commit to encountering our brothers and sisters, listening with open hearts to the stories of those who have experienced racism. Mm -hmm. I, I think fundamentally it is about encountering each other, not always feeling that you need to defend something. That's the beauty of having a listening session for you to listen, take it in, and reflect. So I've heard a number of people say that the pastoral letter against racism hasn't gone far enough. You know, and you, I'm sure that you have probably heard the same yeah. that the uh, that it has not gone far enough. Well, as people have said that, one of the things that I often say is. That these listening sessions, these encounters are intended to address, one, the awareness of racism, embracing each other as a community of disciples, answering the call to restore and reconcile. Every one of us has to understand that Jesus is on the shore, ready to welcome us, ready to forgive us, ready to meet us where we are to restore us, and to revive us.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: This is one of the things that we're going to have to do. You know, do you want to walk into the room and, and say, you need to check your white privilege at the door? Who's going to be engaged in that conversation?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I had one of our bishops to call me. One of the nation's bishops called, and he says, you know, I was talking with one of the bishops who said, De Carlos, I should talk to you. So I'm going to have this gathering with people, and what do I do if white privilege comes up? And I said to the bishop simply, until every one of us, regardless of our ethnicity, takes the opportunity to accept our own culture's place in the historical activities of the world Mm -hmm. to say anything about racism is going to be empty. I think we have to look at ourselves, our cultures, and our own hearts before we can truly enter in to a conversation like that. Because if you cannot humble yourself, if you cannot come before your brothers and sisters with humble and contrite hearts, mm-hmm. then everybody's gonna be talking about how the other person is wrong.
0: Yeah, I mean, and we're seeing that play out. We're, we're recording this in May and there's, mm-hmm. there's very much a, a tension in the culture right now. And I've noticed, you know, on the one hand, many, many people are saying the injustice against um, Ahmaud Arbery and and it's horrible what has happened. And then I'm, I'm also hearing people say, yeah, but you didn't care before this. So now yeah. that it's a, it's a pop culture moment and it's, it's gone viral. You do care, but what are you going to do tomorrow? Um, yeah. I've noticed in a couple of different ways in my experience in youth and young adult ministry is making sure that speaker lists are diverse is making yes. sure that we are reaching out to communities of color and saying, we want your young people to sign up for this. And we recognize that maybe this isn't something that they're used to experiencing, but we want to find a way to get them there. Um, we did Absolutely. this last year at, at NCYC. We, we wanted to ensure that um, the music, that the, the the band on stage was not just three white singers. And so we had & Dolo, Ricky Vasquez, and Sarah Kroger, and we had a backup singer crew from Detroit. And yeah. they... it was the most diverse NCYC stage we've ever had. And nobody ever stopped and said, this is the portion of the evening where we put diversity on the stage, it just happened. And it was, it made everyone in the room feel better because we knew that an effort had been made but it was an effortless effort and that we were just making space for everyone at the table. Nobody lost their spot, we just built a bigger table. And that I think in having these conversations about where people have experienced racism, where we ourselves have been racist and trying to figure out the through line of loving people for who they are is how that bigger table is built, I think. That letter on racism um, and, and the, the goal of the bishops, I think, was to help people start to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. At, at the end here, um, how can the person who has heard this podcast, who maybe wants to be included in restorative justice, uh-uh. maybe wants to focus on pro-life ministry, who maybe wants to be able to sit down in a listening session and say, okay, tell me, tell me these things I need to hear. I need to be called out a little bit and I wanna learn. What would be your encouragement to them to maybe take that first step?
1: I think it's just to go, to go into the deep. <laughs> I think that's it go out,
0: there you go, yeah.
1: You know, I think to just go out because we want everyone to understand that these sessions are to help the faithful to discern opportunities, and best practices for engagement. Mm -hmm. So listen to podcasts about it. Educate yourself before walking in, but when you walk in, listen. Will there be people in the midst of you that have an ax to grind? Always. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we have to remember to take things in the spirit in which they are given.
0: Mm -hmm. To not walk in defensively, but open.
1: Exactly. When I was in... um, the Diocese of Richmond, shortly after Charlottesville, Loyola Press had asked me to go out there for a catechetical convocation. And so I had a session in one part of the diocese on a Friday evening, and then on Saturday morning in another part of the diocese. And I remember racism was one of the things that they wanted me to talk about. And I said, it's interesting how, regardless of who you are, if you have a person who May be labeled a racist and there are specific things that they will do, you could see those behaviors from your perspective in someone else. But it doesn't mean that the other person is a racist because you recognize that they may do something similar to someone else.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I say to people, you know, it's going again to take encounter to understand from where a person is coming. So when we talk about uh, checking privilege, Sometimes people don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. So again, it's going to take that encounter, that engagement, because it is in that encounter and engagement that we promote love and unity and restoration of reconciliation mm-hmm. between communities.
0: Amen. Where can we find out more about you and your work? Not just in the Diocese of Austin, but I know you travel, you speak, you write. Where's all things De Carlos?
1: Well, you know, I uh, have to get the uh, website back up again. (laughs) I've I've been so engaged in ministry here that I don't even talk around the nation as much Mm. as I used to, because this is indeed more than a full-time job. I remember telling Bishop Garcia, I said, you know, I came here to Austin instead of doing all of that national travel to kind of slow down. He laughed in my face, of course, (laughs) because there is no No. (laughs) slowing down, so...
0: For sure. Well, I'll direct people to your Facebook profile uh, to to be able to see some of the awesome things that y'all are doing. Thank you for your time. Um, And then, and we're just, I I appreciate the chance to learn from you for sure.
1: You're very welcome.
0: Okay. It seems then that working for justice requires sometimes having hard conversations, sometimes putting out into the deep and, and doing the difficult work that must be done but ultimately is centered in encounter, encounter with people whose life is different than your own, encounter with people who have a different history and past, encounter with people who may have experienced things that you've largely been unaware of but want to work to end within the world. DeCarlos and I um, did record this episode in mid-late May before the death of George Floyd and much of the, the national outcry and conversations surrounding racial inequality And um, I definitely want to go back and have another conversation with him again to continue to unpack and explore these things. We did, of course, have a, a deeper and longer conversation about fighting racism and ending it within the world, within the church, with Father Josh Johnson and Sister Josephine Garrett. And you can find that episode in season five of the Ave Explorers podcast. I'll link it down in the show notes so you can easily click over to it. As well as doing a Facebook Live with Ike Andolo and Chika Anyanwu over on the Ave Maria Press Facebook, YouTube, Vimeo, and Instagram pages. Um, those two conversations are three-plus hours worth of content that really unpacks and explores that topic even more. De Carlos has been posting a lot of things on social media around this topic as well, and so I would definitely encourage you to give him a follow and listen to the things that he is saying and reading the things that he is sharing. This conversation around justice, I think, perfectly sums up what we've been talking about with Ave Explores Faith in Action putting our faith into action to work for a better world, putting our faith into action to serve and to love people, putting our faith into action because that's what the gospel commands. You can find all of this content that we've created for this series over at AveMariaPress.com, link down in the show notes as always. The articles, videos, other podcasts, showcases, challenges, saint biographies, everything we've created, including all of the other series that we have done on Mary, on mental health, on art and architecture. It's been a full year of Ave Explorers. We started this, this project last fall. I don't think any of us anticipated what the world was going to look like right now. But very providentially, all of our topics really synced up well with kind of the current cultural moments. And we are continuing AVE Explorers. It will continue into the 2020-2021 year. Um, We've got some awesome topics coming up, things that I cannot wait to unpack and to explore with all of you. We hope that more people, of course, find us and get in on all of this excellent stuff that we've created. You can help us by rating and reviewing the show and sharing it with other people on social media, something we'd be great for. We've hit 50,000 downloads with the show, something I'm immensely proud of, something we didn't think that we would hit within this first year of creating it, but We're so thrilled, and so thrilled, in fact, with the success of this podcast and the way that it's expanding and growing, that we are building a bigger Ave Explorers podcasting brand by launching a new podcast in August um, that will be called Ave Weekly. Ave Weekly will include a weekly Monday morning, we think, as of now, episode that will kind of be a quick 15, 20-minute chat um, between me. My co host, Father Dennis Stratch, a Congregation of the Holy Cross priest, and a guest, an Ave author, a Catholic writer, creator, someone in the world of the faith, about the topic that is kind of relevant to the current moment. Um, That could be anything concerning the, the Pope's current prayer intentions for the month, all the way to how to kick off the school year with your kids and maybe pray on the way to school in the morning. We're super excited for that new project. Look for more details about that soon. You'll be able to find more information about it, of course, on AveMariaPress.com when it all goes live. Just stay tuned because Ave Weekly will be part of, hopefully, your podcast downloads uh, coming in the next month. We're grateful that you listened. We're grateful that you've stuck around. We're grateful for all of our our subscribers and participants in the AVE Explorer series. Grateful for this first year. Thanks so much for being part of it. Thanks for joining in on all of the fun. We hope that you have enjoyed learning and exploring with us as we've taken these deep dives into topics. Click on over to Ave Maria Press to find everything we've created just for you.